0: Welcome to I'm Not in an Abusive Relationship with your host, Claudia Pauls. Welcome to I'm Not in an Abusive Relationship. I am Dan Moyle, one of the producers, guest hosting today because we have a special guest via Zoom. And I have the fortunate blessing of being able to welcome Michelle on the show. Michelle, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: So, listeners, this is so, so important to me and such a privilege for, to me because. When I brought this idea of a podcast to DASIS, the whole thing started because of Michelle's speech at an event. This is the, the survivor who made me think of the name I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship because her speech at that event said that a number of times. She used to tell herself that. So, so I am just absolutely incredibly humbled to have you on the show. I'm, um, so let's talk a little bit about that day. And then we'll get into your story a little bit, Michelle. Take me back to that time when you know you were asked to tell your story at an event for Dasis. What was that like?
1: Yeah. So um, for me, I I had uh, stayed there in um, 2000, I think, and so this had been 18 years later. Um, I returned to Dasis as an intern, and so I was there, and I got to work with um, the ladies that were there, and it was very, very surreal for me to stand in the very, I mean, literally the same exact spot, um, at one point where I came to terms with the fact that I was in an abusive relationship. And, um, over, I don't know, a couple of weeks, uh, the fact that I had stayed there, um, came out to some of the other workers and they had this Uh, fundraising event. And so they asked me if I would be interested in um, presenting or giving my story at the fundraising. And so for me, it was like this full 180 uh, or 360 where I had um, stayed there as a um, somebody who needed the help. And then I was there as somebody learning how to really um, help other people who were trying to come out of abusive relationships, and so um, that day it was—I don't know—it was just a, it was a privilege and an honor for me um, to get to present um, that day. So,
0: I think what I think is so cool about this, in, in part, is that as you said, 18 years prior, you you were in that position of being at the time a victim, becoming a survivor. And you got to come back full circle so many years later and bring that story of hope, which was which was one of my dreams for this sh- podcast for the show was to bring hope. Um, so I want to focus on that hope and how you got to that point. Can we go back a little bit then? And you know, whether it's similar to the story that you told that day or whether it's how you tell it now, but let's go back to how you your your survivor story, however you want to frame that where you want to start. But let's talk about Michelle's survivor story, if you would.
1: Yeah. So, um, I was, I was not raised in a home where there was abuse. I was raised in a good home. My mom and dad were, I mean, you know, no parent is perfect, right? So they weren't perfect, but my mom and dad very much loved me and they, you know, there was not abuse in my, in my home. Um, but I, I had some, um, insecurities. I think there were some struggles early on Um, with me. And so it made me very, very vulnerable. When I was 15, I, I met, um, the man who became my abuser and we dated when we were kids. He was not an abusive man. Um, throughout the years between 15 and, um, I'm going to say 18, it slowly began to be abusive, but it it wasn't, um, what I had in mind of abuse um, at the time—it it was never uh, f- physical at the time, or physical out of anger. He would do things like he'd punch me in my in my leg, and if I would say "ow, that hurt," then he'd be like, "You know, um, oh, all I ever do is hurt you, so I'm just not going to touch you anymore." And so there's like th- these guilt trips, mm-hmm. um, and he would always tell me things about like how I was so naive i didn't know anything about the world and you know it's it's weird because um over the years somehow i believed him i mean he would tell me these weird things about how um i w- was so naive men always did these things to their wives but my dad didn't do it in front of my mom and so i didn't know and i mean there's just this brain like to to Think of it now. How in the world did I ever get to this place where he could convince me that my dad beat up my mom? Because I know that he didn't. And yet, I thought that he knew what I was he was talking about and I was naive because I'd heard it for so many years. Um, he would do these things like, um, he'd hit me and say to me afterwards that, you know, um, he didn't. <laughs> and so, or he would tell me, um, you know, you're not really abused. Like you've never, one of, one of the big things that he would say, you never had to go to the hospital. You've never had a broken bone. You've never had stitches. Like you're not really abused. And so I, I believed him. Um, I guess I kind of skipped over there. It, it did not start as physical. So after we got married, bef- before the marriage, it was almost all emotional. It was so psychological. It was play physical. Once we were actually married, um, which was when I was 20, it began to get physically aggressive when he was angry at me. And um, I remember um, it was... You know, I I did hair at the time. I I was a hairstylist. My very first career was was doing hair, and I was doing this um, man's hair who was a um, paramedic, and he saw these bruises on my arm, mm-hmm. and he, um, I was pregnant with my second t- son at the time, and he he saw them and he said, "What happened to your arm?" And I said, "Oh, nothing." Um, He's like, "Well." are you sure nothing? Because those look very familiar to me. Mm. And I said, well, yeah, me and my husband, we're just wrestling. Like we're just playing. And he goes, are you sure? Cause I see those all the time. And I just, um, wasn't ready, I guess at the time, uh, I couldn't even wrap my I mean, I, when I'm, as I'm talking about it, I, I try to put myself back into that moment. And I think I just totally dismissed it. Didn't even let that settle. But a few months later, I was, we had moved to Marcellus, and that was when I first started seeing things from DASIS. At the time, it was called something else. I don't remember what the name of of, um, the organization was, but it it was still um, focused on abuse. And I would see these flyers that said, are you in an abusive relationship? And it had all of these check marks. And I remember looking at it and going, I mean... I fit into every single one of these, yeah. and yet I still was not ready to acknowledge it, but I did feel this growing sense of depression and helplessness, and i honestly, I felt like I was going crazy um, and so uh the day that I ended up at dasis um I think I actually said something to him about, like it It planted these seeds um, in my mind as I had read that, that m- maybe I am in an abusive relationship and yet I had dismissed it. And I don't think that I had thought much about it, except in the midst of this fight, I started saying something to him about it, which of course just escalated it. Um, and, it did get very probably more physically abusive than it had been in the past. It, it was definitely escalating at that time. We'd been married for not quite three years. Um, and so anyway, I, huh, he got mad after he beat me up and he left and, um, he came back and I just needed to go for a walk. And, um, started walking. I was living in Marcellus and my mom and dad live in Niles. And I thought I was going to walk all the way there, which by the way, that's a 45 minute drive. Mm. And so I just started walking and um, got down the road and I did not feel well. I mean, cause it it did hurt. And so I just sat down in this field. I went to a place where I thought nobody would see me. And this lady um, did see me and she came out across the street. Cause I just, I was trying to think, what do I do now? I'm too far away from home to go back home. I'm too far away from my mom and dad's house. I don't know how to get to my mom and dad's house. I don't know what to do. I'm just in the middle of nowhere. This lady comes out and she asks me if I'm okay. And I said, I'm fine. My husband and I just got into a fight and I had a black eye and she said, well, do you need me to call the police? And I'm like, no, no, he's a nice guy. Like really like, I don't know what just happened, but really he's, he's a very nice guy. And um, she said, well, why don't you come inside and and we'll just start talking. And it was just, it was this, I thought I was going crazy. I thought I was the problem because I always was told I was the problem. And so as we were walking across the street to her house, I, I heard this voice inside of my head, um, call it a, you know, God or a higher power or call it the internal will to survive, whatever you want to call it. But there was this very... Distinctive voice yelling at me to say that I wanted to go to the shelter for because she had asked if I wanted to go to the shelter um, Mm. For for battered women and I had told her no initially um, and There was just this voice that said say yes say yes And because I thought that I was going crazy. I thought that if I went to the shelter They would see that I was nuts and they would take me to the psychiatric Hospital Mm. I, I seriously thought that and Uh, God bless that woman because if it were not for her, and I would name her, except I don't know if she's okay with me naming her, and I would love to reach out to her again. I would love to find her and thank her um, because she changed my life. Um, But she called up the police. The police um, arranged for somebody from the shelter to come and get me. I met uh, halfway and they took me to the shelter. Um, And even then, I was not convinced that I was abused. Um, but it was a safe place for me to begin to process and unwind. And it was while I was there, there were, there were lots of different things that they gave me that were very, um, telling for me, but there was this moment and I don't know if I, I said this in the, I, I do remember the day that I was talking at the, um, at the fundraiser, but I don't know if I went into detail about what happened. I think I did. I was standing in the kitchen and this woman had come in a couple of days after I had been there with her four children, and she had been in this marriage for 16 years or something like that, and she was just talking to me, and she was telling me, "Get out now," basically." And um, she was telling me the story about how her husband had her on her knees with a gun in his mouth in her mouth, threatening to blow her head off. And she said, you don't want to waste your life. It's only going to get worse. And I told her, yeah, well, I understand what you're saying, but like, I'm not really in an abusive relationship. I mean, I've never had a broken bone. I never had stitches. I never had to go to the hospital. Like I've just got a black eye and a couple knots on my head and some bruises. Like I'm not really abused. And she said, do you hear yourself? when did it become okay to you for your husband to give you a black eye? And I remember thinking, right, that was not what I was raised in. That's not how my dad treated my mom. And when did this become okay for me? And so that was the moment that I embraced that I truly was a victim of abuse.
0: And I, I got to be honest, when you as you described that just now, her telling you that 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 got me. Yeah. Emotionally, like I could. How did you feel when she helped you realize that? What was that
1: like? I think stunned. I think yeah. it somewhat took my breath away. But I think it was one of those very, like, one of those situations where, what do you, like, how can I outrun this anymore? Like, how can I continue yeah. to love myself anymore after that question? Because mm-hmm. it was such a sobering question.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and she was only one of many, maybe, allies. You know, I heard... Hey, Michelle, I, I see this journey of you know, the paramedic that said to you, are you okay? The, the neighbor that came and picked you up, the woman at the shelter who said you are worth it. Mm-hmm. I mean, how important is it to have those allies along the journey, even if you don't necessarily take that seed that they planted right then,
1: Right.
0: but how important are those allies for us, for us to be able to be now?
1: Right, yeah, it's, it's so important. Um, and it's so important not to get discouraged because it can be, right? I mean, when, when I mean, the, it is such a twisted thing that happens between a victim and her abuser. And so for people who have never been there, um, you know, they don't understand. And Mm -hmm. so they can easily get cynical or they can give up or they can say, you know, I mean, I've tried talking sense into her and she's just not listening. Um, And yet it does take all of those, the many different people who sowed seeds into my journey. Um, so many people who spoke truth into my life before it truly took root and stuck and began to grow into the courage to walk away and the courage to even embrace it. And so it is um, highly important for people to educate themselves on what abuse really is because, and here's a side note, many people are victims of abuse without even realizing that they are. And so educating yourself on what abuse is and educating yourself on why it's so hard for a victim to leave um, is important just to protect yourself, but also so you don't give up and you can be that ally who is persistent enough and gentle enough and empathic enough to help the women who are in these abusive situations to get out.
0: And, and and I want to kind of chase that down for a minute here because you use words like empathy, but persistent, what kind of things, and, and we can, we like, we can make generalization terms here, but I really want to think about your journey, Michelle, in particular, and maybe that'll help someone. What kinds of things helped you when people would talk to you rather than like, why don't you just leave? Which is something that a lot of us maybe say, when we don't understand it, what are the things that helped you really see that and feel seen and heard and find hope?
1: I'm going to answer this, not just in that journey, but just in the journey of my life. And, um, also just in my education, because at this point I'm a therapist. And so I'm all about like learning how to empathize with people. But when, when you can connect with somebody and not try to fix them, but try to understand them and understand their journey and where they are um that does a lot and also instead of trying to talk them out of it to validate them i remember this is completely not having to do with my abuse situation but it does have to do with another situation that i was in that was very very difficult Um, I was struggling very, very much, and I had a lot of people, as I cautiously opened up to some people about it, they were telling me, well, you need to do this, and you need to do that, and you should not be doing this, and I don't ever want to hear you say that again, you're giving, you know, you need to speak positive, and that was frustrating to me, and I one day opened up to my mother on a different level than I ever had before, And on this particular situation. And she said to me, I am so sorry that you are struggling with that. And I hear you wrestling through this. And I just want you to know there's nothing that I can do to fix it, but I'm sorry that you're dealing with it. And my my defenses went down my emotions went from like up here to just this oh she gets me like she's she's okay with me being on this journey and she's not telling me how to fix it um that validation can be the empathy i mean just saying i i'm so sorry that you're i can see that you're torn between this man that you care very deeply about and you've got these wonderful memories with because you've got to have memories with them that are wonderful. Otherwise you would have never been with him to begin with.
0: That's a hard one. Yeah.
1: It is. And then at the same time, he hurts you and he's destroying you and you want to be healthy and you want to be with him, but you can't be healthy while you're with him. What a tough mm. situation you're in.
0: Yeah, I've, often thought of you know the the small difficulties that I've gone through in life when someone says well you should or I would yeah shuts me down completely
1: yep
0: so that's a great th- great great thing to realize that when someone is in that situation it's not about giving them advice or telling them what what you would do because we don't know
1: right what we no, would do we don't. we don't i mean like i said i was convinced that my mom and dad were you know, my dad was beating up my mom behind closed doors because that's what he told me. Normal people would never understand that. They're like, what? <laughs> you know, yeah. I don't understand it. Honestly, I don't understand how I was convinced of that, but I was.
0: Yeah, so, so on that note, looking back, you know, I, just in talking with you now and knowing what little I do about you, I can't even begin to fathom you getting to the point where it took a woman in a shelter to say, don't be on your knees with a gun in your mouth for you to see that that was the progression that you find yourself in this abusive relationship where a black eye was okay, where a, a couple of knots on your head was okay. What kind of red flags looking back now, can you see where that journey got to that point? Cause it's a, it's a slow burn, right? It's the, the little, you're so naive. This is what your parents are doing. You don't even realize it. But yeah. what, like what red flags can you look back now and say, Oh my gosh, there's one I should have seen.
1: You know, um, I was very very young so it's hard to it's hard to know some of those red flags looking back on it Um, for sure he would um, in that first year he would do things that hurt me like I said he would you know bend my my wrist or my hand down until it touched my forearm and it would hurt. And when I would tell him that, that you're hurting me, he would get angry at me. Um, and so that's, that's one. Yeah. Um, when he would get mad, he would, I mean, he would call me names. Um, eventually mm. I, I will be honest though, there, that was not the only abusive relationship that I was in. And I can definitely look at relationship number two um, and tell you, it, it, at this point I would, you know, I, th- I had gone through so much healing and thought that I had arrived. And it was a different, very, very different kind of abuse. Very, very different kind of abuse. And with, with number two, I thought that I had arrived and I had done a lot of work but I did not understand boundaries very well. And so as I was with this one, it was laying on the charm, right? It was very, um, I I had two kids. um, So he was super dad and very involved with the kids. And, um, but also very, um, we've got to hurry up and get married. We've got to, we've got to hurry up and, make this family a family and that flag now looking back on it i mean that was a red flag another red flag that i noticed um looking back on that one was uh i um had told him i put down a boundary and said i i'm not ready to to actually date yet i just i just need time so maybe we can hang out on Sundays. Well, pretty soon he shows up at my house, shoveling my driveway, bringing me extra food because I'm a single mom and I don't have a lot of money. And, you know, here, let me help you out here and help you out there. And pretty soon he's over at my house every day. Um, I told him I wasn't, you know, ready for um, the first kiss. So there was pressure, like every every day there was, you know, this pressure and, you know, All of these things that seemed so sweet with him Um, and yet when I looked at it I was constantly being asked to overstep my boundaries I understood that we needed to have boundaries and so I had boundaries down but I did not realize that I was kind of subtly being coaxed over those boundaries Mm -hmm. and then coaxed over the next boundary And 10 months into the relationship, I found myself married um, to another form of abuser. It was very, like I said, very, very different. Um, And he went from super dad to, you know, something very different there too. And um, that was very, very hard for me because here I am uh, divorced once and already a victim of abuse. And I thought that I had healed. I thought that I had it figured out. I thought that I had done a lot of work and then I found out that I had a lot more work to do. And so there was this place of humiliation and difficulty with embracing that um, as much as you would think that I would have it figured out, you know? Um,
0: When, when you use the H word, humiliation, mm -hmm. how do you unpack that and deal with that now? And, and, and how did you then, like, how, how my gosh, you shouldn't feel humiliated. This is not your fault. We, we, we tell people that, right? But how do you, in a real way, deal with that kind of, those feelings?
1: Um, I had to, I think, learn how to have compassion on myself. Mm. I had to learn how to give myself permission not to get it right all the time. Um, That's a big one. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm still learning that one, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> <Same here>. um, <laughs> I had to also make sense of my story. I had to really um, go all the way back to my little bitty baby years and unpack my story so that I could begin to understand my mentality. Of being a victim what is it that you know what is it about me that um, is drawn to this or attracts this what is it about me that feels comfortable in this or doesn't see the red flags and as I began to unpack my story I began to see many reasons why I am a really good victim and I I don't say that because I'm not a victim. I'm a survivor. I'm very, very strong. I've overcome a lot. But what I do know about me is that there is a vulnerability that lives inside of me that may never, ever heal fully. Um, And the fact that I am now aware of that and aware of my story and how that vulnerability kind of formed, that by itself is something that will protect me from getting back into this. Does that make sense?
0: It does. It does. And in one of our previous episodes, uh, protecting yourself from emotional predators, Stephen Woolhander talks about knowing yourself better than what a predator would know you.
1: Right.
0: And so that's really important to, to know that. And, mm-hmm. and Brene Brown talks about vulnerability and how important vulnerability can be. It just has to be, it sounds like, measured, protected, and in the right situations. Right. Right. <clears throat> um, you, you, when you were talking about number two, the the number two relationship that was abusive as you're describing some of these actions that he was doing on one hand, they sound like kindness or like romance, right? He came to shovel my driveway. He would bring me food, but he was crossing a line. Like what's the difference in those two things? I mean, that's, you know, especially as a, as a guy, I mean, I'm, I'm married now, so I don't have to worry about dating anybody, unfortunately, but, but I think about things like a romantic gesture or being kind for someone how can we make sure that we are either as the person being preyed upon watching out for those, but also as other people, how do we make sure that we're not doing that to other people without realizing like, what's the difference between those two things?
1: Um, okay, man, that's a big question or a big answer. Um, so first of all, I want to say there was so much more that went so much deeper than that. So, um, as time progressed, there was, um, a lot of other things that happen i'm gonna say the word that comes to my mind is a lack of respect Mm -hmm. and so yes him shoveling out my driveway could have been very very sweet and not abusive him bringing food over me may have been very very sweet and not abusive um i think for somebody who may be in that position of how do i respect this woman or this individual because of course you can you can be disrespectful to anybody is to first of all ask yourself what are my motives and my intentions for going over to shovel her driveway is it to be nice or am i trying to um connect with her because i want to connect with her because that was the difference. It wasn't about kindness for me. Um, but there was also this pressure. There was this, um, you know, like I said, I told him I wasn't ready to kiss. He would ask me, you know, can I kiss you? And I would be like, no, I'm not ready for that. Are you sure you don't want to kiss? Because like, mm. might be fun. And, you know, and, and well, let me know. I'll wait. I'll wait for you on your terms. But I'm just ready to do this anytime. And so there was that... As he was doing these nice things for me, um, there was also this pressure to take it to the next level almost constantly, and um, I did not recognize that. And it was a slow; it was a very slow, and it was very subtle. and And he was very, very good at manipulation; very, very good at it. And that that is the thing that is hard, I think. Um, easy for just about anybody to be blinded by that, because there there was the subtleness to what he did. Even even looking at the ab- the kind of abuse that I dealt with in that relationship, it's, it's very subtle and almost hard to put your finger on, mm. um, because it wasn't throwing me across the room. It wasn't giving me black eyes. It it was a very Different kind of thing, hmm. um, but what I know now is that his motives really were not about being a, a nice guy. It was about impressing, impressing me, to make him look like a nice guy, so that he could see me on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. Even though I said, "Let's hang out just on Sundays." Yeah, that makes sense.
0: Yeah, it does absolutely. And it, so con- things like consent consent language, right? Respect, no pressure, um, motive, you know, motivation behind things all kind of makes sense there. So,
1: um,
0: wow. What an, what an incredible journey you've had. Do, do you find that that part of that story, your history plays a part now in what you do professionally? You mentioned you were a therapist. Do you mm-hmm. specifically help victims and survivors in, in all of this?
1: Absolutely. Um, I, I do. I, I work with trauma, although I do have to be somewhat careful how much trauma I do deal with because there is a point where it becomes too much for me. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite, actually I am a marriage and family therapist and I'm also a um, clinical mental health therapist. So I have uh, training in both. My favorite is actually marriage and family marriages. I love mm-hmm. relationships. Um, for a long time, I would tell you that I, I just, uh, really did relationships very bad. So those who can't take, and that's why I was in the relationship thing. Um, Mm -hmm. I have found a very safe and healthy relationship now though. So now I can say, not only do I know what not to do, but I also can help people learn what to do, Mm -hmm. but I absolutely, um, do I, I have an incredible story and I don't mean that in an arrogant way because yeah. I mean who really wants this incredible story but I've got a lot of experience um it's been quite a journey it's been a very hard journey but I I know I know a lot um and that helps me know a lot with my clients and it helps me be gentle with them mm. um and I'm thankful for my story, as awful as that might sound.
0: <laughs> I understand. I understand, yeah. Mm-hmm. What would be your biggest um, encouragement you can give to listeners who find themselves questioning where they are, trying to figure out what's next, just in this world? What's, what's your biggest encouragement, Michelle?
1: your story isn't over. I mean, where you're at today is not where you're going to be in six months. It's not where you're going to be in a year. It's not going to be where you're at in 10 years. And, um, so know that if you can quiet yourself and be still and be patient and listen, you'll know what steps you need to take, even when they're not clear You'll know what steps to take at the right time. It will become clear. And um, you're never too broken. Um, Your story is never too messy to come out of it with absolute beauty.
0: I love that. I love that. Great encouragement. And then on the other side of it, what's one piece of tactical advice? that you would give to someone who is maybe at the point where you were, where it's like, I'm beginning to realize this. What is one of those steps that you would tell someone to take?
1: Yeah. So can I, I'm going to just tell a story, um, yeah. to answer that because, because I think it's relevant. Um, when I was going, I went to a therapist for my marriage counseling. Um, and she observed some things well, just to keep the story short, she observed some things in our session. Um, she was also snowed for a little while. For the first, she thought he was a great guy. And then there was a session where it was very clear what was going on. And at the end of that session, she said, I want you to come back in a couple of days by yourself. And so I did. And what she told me was life-changing. Uh, she told me, you know how to protect yourself. You just don't trust yourself. Like people who have been through, who have been victimized by other people, they get these blurry, they, sometimes they don't see the red flags. Um, they get this blurry um, sense of how to navigate through life. But it's there inside of all of us. And she said, start listening to yourself and then trust what your higher self or what your internal self, or I would even say God, um, is telling you. But we can't hear that unless we quiet ourselves and begin to listen. And from that moment on, I really uh, did start healing a lot. Because a lot of times I would, whenever there was a decision to make, I would kind of quiet myself and I would say, okay, what, what feels like it's the right thing to do? Not what do I want to do, but what feels like it's the right move for me to make right now. And I have found that most of the time, I mean, I will, there's always an answer there. And most of the time when I listen to that, it's, it's bringing me to a better place in life.
0: Great advice. Michelle, is there anything I didn't cover that you want to make sure our listeners hear from you?
1: No, I, I don't know. I, I think we covered a lot. <laughs>
0: yeah, I really did. Thank yeah. you so much for sharing your story. Thank you for being an inspiration to the show. And we are at, at the moment of this recording, over 30,000 downloads, people from 60 some odd countries, every single state in the country is, is receiving some kind of benefit from your story and your inspiration. So thank you again, Michelle. That's
1: amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you for listening to I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship. If these stories resonate with you and you need help, Please visit our website d a s a s m i org that's d a s a s m i org or call our hotline at 800 828 2023 we are here to walk alongside you now, if you know someone who might benefit from our show please share it social media email simply telling someone about it all help us spread the word and help us to combat domestic and sexual violence